0: So, uh, we're very, very privileged today, thank you, to have uh, a man who I've come to consider a friend uh, and who has done tremendous work across the world for the cause of Christ to be our speaker today. And uh, uh, this man, for those of you who've met him already, you already know, but it's Alan Meenan, or as he prefers to be called, Dr. Meenan. No, I'm, I'm kidding about that. He also has a good sense of humor. So, um, uh, Alan has—he's uh, the founder of the Word Is Out Ministry. You guys know Brad Johnson. He was announced just a little bit ago. Who's coming back in June? Uh, Alan founded that ministry some years ago, and uh, that uh, has done great good through Alan and now through others preaching and teaching the Word of God across across the globe, and is going to continue to uh, bless God's people for many years to come. It's, uh, through Alan, actually, that I know Billy Abraham, knew Billy Abraham, and you guys, uh, heard him speak here last year, and you know what a, what a difference he made in my life. Uh, they were best friends who came to the United States together from Ireland, so, uh, it's a privilege in, just in that respect to have, to have Alan here as, uh, Billy's dear friend. Uh, Before he started his international ministry, Alan was a pastor. The last church he was pastoring had uh, about 4,000 members in it, so I thought he'd be very comfortable here today. Uh, We're missing a few thousand, but uh, that's all, so I I think he'll fit right in. More, More than anything, I'm thankful for Alan because he's a man of God, and you sense his faith and his deep heart and his love for God's Word as he speaks. And uh, I'm just happy to share that with you guys this morning. So, uh, Alan, would you come forward and uh, let's just welcome Alan right now.
1: I'm sw- I'm small, but is this kind uh, of come up a bit? Great. That's too high. They're perfect. You know, I didn't know that Luke was Irish because that was a lot of blarney. <laughs> uh, if you would, if you would forgive just a, a, a personal uh, allusion, I, um, I was living in. Uh, California, and there was an elder in the church there uh, in Los Angeles that um, uh, kept thinking that because I was a small Irishman, you know, my, my dear wife had to wear, um, she couldn't wear high heels. Uh, not because I wouldn't let her wear them, because she felt she would tower over me. So he kept saying, you know, you need to buy pair of boots. You know, give yourself another two inches, see? And I said, have you ever seen an Irishman wearing Texas cowboy boots? And he said, you need to, you need to do that. Well with the encouragement of my wife, I went and bought a pair of cowboy boots. And that week, I kid you not, that very week I got out of the blue, I got a call from First Presbyterian Church in Amarillo, Texas, asking me if I would be their pastor. So I turned to my wife, and I said, instead of buying Hawaiian boots, I should have bought a Hawaiian lei. <laughs> so I have my boots on, so I'm very much at home in Texas, having lived here for nine years. Um, it's a privilege to be here. Um, I, I am delighted to be with Luke. Uh, I consider him uh, an amazing friend and a great a uh, contributor to The Word Is Out and, uh, a, and a man of God, a man of great integrity and love, and I think you are incredibly blessed to have him as your pastor. And so it's my privilege to, uh, to be here with him and be with you. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth, a meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer, and in Christ's name we pray, amen. Some time ago I came across a little verse tucked away in the Old Testament that you probably didn't even notice and that you would just gloss over, but my inquisitive mind perked up. And it's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 21. And it basically says this, that the people stood afar off. This was on the mountain, Mount Sinai. The people stood afar off, And Moses went into the thick darkness where God was." Now, immediately reading uh, reading that, I was curious, because it presented for me a conundrum. After all, I, I argued, John writes in his epistle that God is light, and in him is no darkness whatsoever. The Apostle Peter, in his epistle, says that he wanted to declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. And the Apostle Paul himself, he says he has translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And yet here I have this verse in Exodus saying that Moses went into the thick darkness where God was. And so it presented something of a conundrum for me. God is light and in him is no darkness. Moses went into the thick darkness where God was. How am I going to resolve that? I argued with myself. What is this darkness to which the writer to the book of Exodus is referring. And is there something here that I can grab hold of myself in understanding the dealings and workings of God in the human endeavor? Exodus 19 and 20 are fascinating chapters. They depict the terrifying scene on Mount Sinai the thunder, the lightning, the fire, the earthquake, everything happening all together. And if you were there and I was there, then you would agree with me that you could think of nothing else because that experience engaged all five senses. Vision, touch, taste, sound, and smell everything. Was, you could not see or think of anything else but this gigantic mountain full of fire and the earthquake and the lightning. It was terrifying. It's no wonder the people stood afar off. If I'd been there, I would have been, I would have been on the far end of them, trying to get as far away as I could possibly get. And yet in that awesome moment, there was a demonstration of God's power and God's majesty. No wonder the people stood far off. Mount Sinai is grim enough when the sun is shining. (laughs) But in this circumstance, it would be absolutely terrifying. And into that thick darkness, one would ask, what demons lie in there What disasters lie in there? What fiends lie in there? What phantoms dwell in the darkness? And yet, into that darkness, one man strode alone into that what resembled the abode of doom. So, that's the conundrum. I wish we could take time and and have you respond to that. This is the great paradox. The darkness and God. For a light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not been able to quench it, we read in Scripture. So how are we going to resolve this? As I reflected upon it, it occurred to me that there are darknesses in which we can find God. I want to allude to some of them this morning as an encouragement to those of us who struggle through life, and even those of us who don't. There is, first of all, this present darkness in which we live. I don't need to expand on that. You know it already, don't you? This, This chaos and confusion of the world. I heard one preacher refer to it the other day as the age of uncertainty. No one seems to know. We don't know what the future lies, what lies in the future. We worry about, we recognize the frailty of the human condition, nowhere nowhere more seen than during this pandemic. And the panic that we experienced and the fear that was, was palatable Everywhere it seemed the disease was spreading. People were concerned, were worried. Mental health soared. Suicides soared. One professor in the university town in which I lived pointed out that one million people in Europe alone, one million who were suffering from terminal cancer did not receive treatment during the pandemic. Not to mention the people who died of the pandemic, but one million who could not receive treatment. It was, it seemed like, a black cloud of despair descended upon the human race. We couldn't trust one another. the confusion of this age, the darkness of this age. Interestingly, Richard Dawkins, one of the world's leading atheistic philosophers, he and a group of people decided to put a sign up on the side of London buses. You know those London buses, double-decker buses? They had these signs stuck up. They, they rented about 800 of these buses and they plastered on the side of the buses, there is no God. So stop worrying and stop living. Start living. 800 buses going through London. I was amused by the fact that one church at a bus stop decided they put up a placard that said, there is no bus. (laughs) So step inside and meet God. That's the darkness of this skeptics telling us that we're foolish to believe that there is a God. Then there's the plight of the folk who are homeless and suffering. Inept politicians, myopic medical experts, fraternizing religious leaders who are being told by the government that their work is non essential and seem to be rolling over in acquiescence of doing that. The darkness of this present age, we can't say with great confidence that all's right with the world. The America that I came to 50 years ago doesn't exist anymore. There is darkness in this present age, recession, unemployment, financial uncertainty, and hope is in short supply. I'm always taken by that story tucked away in the pages of Mark. You remember the story when the blind man comes to Jesus and asks for his sight to be received? And... Jesus touches him, and he says, what do you see? And the man says, well, I, I see, but I, it, people look like trees walking about. And Jesus touched him a second time, and he was able to see clearly. It's that semi-darkness that he was in that would not enable him to see clearly. Present darkness. Now it's interesting that Mark includes that story because we don't have that. That story is not told by Matthew or Luke or John. And I remember when I was a young student, I was accosted in the university corridor by an atheist, an atheistic lawyer. And he said, "Um, are you a Christian? I said, I am. And he said, well, why would you want to follow a person who couldn't get a miracle right the first time? And I said, what are you talking about? I'd only been a Christian a few years. And he said, well, this blind man, Jesus couldn't, he had to, t- he couldn't hear him the first time. So I didn't know the answer to the question, and that young lawyer, you know, there's another Christian hit the dust. And I went to my minister, I went to my youth leaders, I, I asked what, why? And no one could give me an answer. I remember as a young Christian, I cursed Mark, forgive me. I just did not like Mark. Why would you include a story that does not show Jesus at his best? It wasn't until many years later when I was listening to a professor who pointed out the context of that story. And all of a sudden, the darkness began to clear for me." He pointed out the fact that the disciples, there had been a miracle in Mark chapter 8, the beginning of 8 and the end of chapter 7. There had been a miracle of the feeding of 4,000 people. And then there was a warning against the religious leaders. And then the disciples were in a boat And they had forgotten to take the food with them. And Mark had deliberately put these stories together for a purpose. And they were arguing with each other in the boat. And Jesus said, let's have some bread. And Andrew said, well, we don't have any. Uh, I thought John was supposed to bring the bread. John said, no, it wasn't me. Peter was supposed to bring the bread. Peter said, no, I wasn't supposed to bring the bread. And so they started arguing among each other. And Jesus said to them, You have eyes, but you don't see. And then you have the story of the blind man who had eyes, but he couldn't see properly. And Jesus touched him a second time, and he saw clearly. And then the very next paragraph, Jesus says, Who do people say that I am? Some think you're John the Baptizer, come back from the dead. Some think you're Elijah. Some think you're a prophet. What do you think, Jesus said? Who do you think I am? And Peter, don't you love Peter? I always think Peter suffers from foot and mouth disease. But Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Wow! He was able to see clearly. He received a second touch. Then there's the darkness of history. There was a day when Israel experienced thick darkness, when the glory of the Exodus and the might of David and the dreams of the prophets all had been utterly eclipsed. The people of Israel, the people of God, had been taken off into exile. And they felt totally depressed and hopeless as they lived in a foreign, strange land. And we read those lovely words in the Psalms. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept, we cried when we remembered Zion. And the Babylonians came and they tormented us and they said, where is now your God? And no answer could be given. And in fact, they began to believe that maybe those taunts were true after all. The temple lay forgotten, wrecked in ruins. And they were far away in darkest Babylonia. And then in the midst of that darkness, the miracle as the people stood afar off, one man courageously walked into the darkness. His name was Ezekiel. And in the thick darkness of exile, Ezekiel discovered a purpose and a plan and a destiny far more glorious than anyone ever dared to think about. Now, they were still in Babylon. They were still in darkness. The darkness had not gone, but God was there, the thick darkness, and God. And Ezekiel was sitting by the Chibar Canal. I love the story. Reminiscing and thinking of what might have been had he not been taken into exile, throwing stones perhaps into the canal. And then he began to notice something on the horizon, a small cloud that kept getting larger and larger. It was coming from the north, strangely. His home was in the west, and it kept getting bigger and bigger, and he began to recognize that this this little cloud contained the throne of Almighty God. And he noticed it was coming from the north, not the west, the north. Why is that significant? Because in ancient Babylonia, the dwelling of all the Babylonian gods were north of the city. And God was coming right through the middle of all those gods. The thick darkness and God. And then there was another moment in Israel's history when Caesar was in Rome, casting his sinister shadow across the ancient world. And Israel was was a non-entity. It wasn't important. It was a a vassal province, a national non-entity. Its politicians were appeasers. Its priests were a dead loss. Their politicians and their prophets were there for all the wrong reasons. It was darkness. Rome was on the throne. And into that darkness, a baby was born in Bethlehem a child of God, a carpenter in Nazareth, and they received him not. And even at the point when he was a man, when he was in trial before Pilate, Pilate stood before the people and said to them, shall I release to you Jesus who is called King? our And one of the worst verses in all the Bible is recorded in their answer. We have no king but Caesar. Do you know that one statement was a denial of the entire Old Testament? Jesus Christ came proclaiming the kingdom of God where God was the king. Oh, that was thick darkness. We have no king but Caesar. And they led this this prophet, this young prophet, Jesus, off into the sordid squalor of execution. And the sun hid its face for very shame. And the gospel writer says, And darkness was over the face of the earth at noon thick darkness. And once again, the miracle, God was present there as nowhere else in all of history. And that accursed gallows became an altar of salvation for millions of us, still unborn. The thick darkness, are you getting it? And God the darkness, and God. God came through to Israel through the thick darkness of exile. He reconciled himself to the world through the darkness of Calvary. You see, God is not deserting his world. There is no place for pessimism in, the Christi- in Christian thinking. You sang a moment ago that God reigns. This is God's world. I, I hate hearing Christians saying, oh, this is the devil's world that we're in. This is not the devil's world. This is God's world at the last. It will always be God's world at the last. And we can be sure that even in the darkness in which we find ourselves as Christians in a post-Christian world, in a world that has become anti christian No matter how thick the darkness, we can always say the thick darkness and God. God in the darkness. You see, I want to say this. Greater than the devil's strategy is divine sovereignty. Now, let me say that again. Greater than the devil's strategy is divine sovereignty. Now, let me say this. This is the next best thing to my text. No preacher is anything better than his text. This is the next best thing. So if you forget everything else I've said, will you remember this? Better than the devil's strategy is divine sovereignty. Thick darkness and God. But let me be a little more personal about the darknesses through which you and I sometimes pass. We've talked about the darkness of the present age. We've talked about the darkness of history. This is the darkness of personal distress. Those trials of life that seem to knock us off our feet and leave us feeling devastated. Something that happens to us, a a setback in our career, the loss of a home, uh, a pronouncement of, of some medical condition that is debilitating the onset of pain, a shattered romance, the grief of losing someone that you love, and you feel that you are treading the darkness alone. There is a hymn that, that I love, which you probably do too. It's probably one of the most famous hymns in all the world. And uh, Would you forgive a little bit of pride here that was written by an Irishman? Abide with me. Fast falls the even tide. The darkness thickens. I love this. The darkness thickens. Lord, with me abide. When faith lets us dine, when the meaning of life is eclipsed, when a sense of emptiness pervades the soul, when we get to places in our lives and if we're honest, we're not putting on a good show on a Sunday morning with other fellow believers and we really in our hearts question what we believe, when the prayers that we utter seem unproductive, when life becomes weary and sad, when nothing seems to make sense, when even the hallelujahs of the saints seem to irritate and irk us, what then can we say, can you say, the thick darkness and God? I wonder if you've ever been to either Disneyland or Disney World, probably most, most of you have. Um, uh, and you, some of you may have ridden on Space Mountain. Not me, by the way. I don't like uh, those kind of rides, but Space Mountain, as you know, is is not only an um, up-and-down thing, but it's up and down in complete darkness. You know that. Well, there's a lovely story that of a youngster who was going to Disney World and wanted desperately to ride on Space Mountain. And as as the time came, as he lined up to get on it, he started getting a little bit nervous. I don't blame him. And he, he started reneging and said, Dad, maybe I maybe 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 um um maybe I shouldn't get on this ride after all. Dad said to him, No, take, it's it's okay, I'll 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 take care of you. Well, they got on the ride, and they plunged into the darkness. A roller coaster ride is is a challenge at any time, but in darkness, you don't know when you're going up or down or sideways or whatever, and it's frightening. And the youngster kept shouting all the way through. He kept shouting again and again and again, Hold tight to me, Daddy. Hold tight to me. And his father did. And when the ride was over, boy, he wanted to go on again. Because his daddy was holding tight to him. <sighs> there is one who's promised to hold tight to us, no matter how thick the darkness. And all we need to do is cry, Lord, hold on to us. I wonder if you've ever read um, the story of Pilgrim's Progress where Christian goes into the river and the waters get high and he starts panicking and he, he cries out to Hopeful, his brother, I'm sinking in deep waters. The waves are, are, are overwhelming me. And hopeful shouts back, Take courage, my brother, for I feel the bottom, the thick darkness, and God. I love the story of Job. That book is an amazing book. The time when Job cries out, Lord, why was I ever born? Life is too hard. Lost his family, lost his wealth, lost his health. Nothing it seemed to live for. And yet, towards the end of the book, we read that the Lord blessed the latter days more than His beginning, the the thick darkness, and God. So, I want to encourage you today not to lose heart. For all of God's people, every saint, the brightest and the best of the sons of the morning, all have had such experiences. But with one voice they cry athwart the centuries, the thick darkness, and God. This inescapable, compelling Jesus. Back in my seminary days, which a long time ago, there was a group of guys who used to, I knocked around with, several of them from Texas. They would play their guitars, they would strum on, and I remember one song they kept singing a lot. lot. Don't hear it very often, but I'm sure you might be acquainted with it. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He's the only one who cares and understands. Standing somewhere in the darkness is where you'll find him, and you'll know him by the nail prints in his hands. The thick darkness and God. Oh, we could regale you with story after story throughout the Scripture. This is not something that is unique to us, unique to you, unique to me. Jacob wrestling at the Jabbok with God and with this oppressive shadow in the darkness, and in the morning he knew that he had met with God and he named the place Penuel, because I have seen the face of God in the midst of my darkness. The thick darkness and God. And then there's the darkness of sin. Everybody knows John three 16, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But scoot on a couple of verses, and John points out that people prefer darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, tempting to hide from God. And when you go right back to the beginning of the Bible, it's right there, right from the beginning. From the inception of humanity, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, are hiding from God in the garden. The psalmist says, if I make my bed in hell, surely the darkness will cover me. But then goes on to conclude, you are there even in the darkness the darkness does not hide from you. You see, what the psalmist is telling us is that God meets us even in the darkness with grace, that evil is overcome with salvation. Simon Peter, on the night of his betrayal, you remember, denied Jesus three times. Do you remember that lovely conversation at the end of of John's gospel? Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Simon, do you really love me? Yes, I, 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 I really do. Simon, can you be absolutely sure beyond a shadow of doubt that you really love me? Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. You see, it was three times that Peter had denied him. It was three times that Jesus asked the question. It was three times that Jesus commissioned him, the thick darkness and God. saw of Tarsus on the way to Damascus, the blinding light. He became blind, completely dark. He cried out, who are you? I am Jesus. It's no wonder the psalmist says, the eternal God is your dwelling place. Underneath are the everlasting arms, thick darkness and God. Here's the last darkness I want to talk about. We've talked about the darkness of the present age, darkness of history, the darkness of personal distress, the darkness of sin. Finally, there's the darkness of death. You see, we're all... Should Jesus tarry, we're all going to die. Uh, It was Benjamin Franklin, I believe, who said, there are two things that we can be certain of, taxes and death. And that seems to be about it. But how are we going to face death when it comes? How are we going to experience that last darkness, that last enemy? We will enter that darkness alone Everyone else will stand afar off and we will go there alone. When I was a youngster, as a teenager, I joined a youth organization in my church in Belfast. And there was one song that we kept singing which which meant the world to me. Will your anchor hold in the floods of death when the waters cold chill our latest breath on the rising tide it can never fail while our anchor holds within the veil. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love, the thick darkness and God. Listen. The thick darkness is where God is. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And when Jesus hung on that tree at Calvary, you remember his very last words? He said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I love those words. Father, into your hands, in that great darkness. Father, into your hands I commend. I wonder where he learned those words. It's Mother's Day. And sometimes I think that maybe he learned them on his mother's knee. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. But when he uttered that prayer, The presence made the dark, God's presence made the darkness light. And so when death comes, there is nothing to fear. One of the early church fathers said this, Jesus Christ turns all our sunsets into dawns. One of my great heroes of the pulpit, a Scottish preacher, said something very similar that I've always remembered because it has burned its way into my heart. The darkest road with Jesus is better than the brightest road without him. I believe that with all my heart. The darkest road with Jesus is better than the brightest road without him. The thick darkness and God. The people stood afar off, but Moses went into the thick darkness, and there he discovered God. It is my prayer for you in this dark age in which we live, in the darkness of of sin that we encounter, in the darkness of personal distress, that as you walk through the darkness, as you will, as you have, as you may be at the moment, that you will find in whatever darkness you walk through this amazing truth, the thick darkness, and God. Let's pray. Father God, life can be very difficult with all kinds of twists and turns and we want to cry to you from the depths of our soul Abba, Daddy, hold us tight and in that dark experience of our lives to know your gracious presence blessing us, comforting us challenging us, being with us So to that end, may your grace, mercy, and peace abide with us in the good times and in the bad, in the times of bright days and even in thick darkness. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and for always. And all God's people said, Amen.